Police Department from New Jersey, and he was sworn in at a tumultuous time. You like that? No. <laughs> That's not it, Freddie. Try again. Jersey. In his first year on the job, this is serious. Come on. In his first year on the job, he faced a federal consent decree, recruitment woes, and a conflict about the site of the third precinct. That issue has been resolved as of last week. It will be located at 2633 Minnehaha Avenue, and that's just a few blocks from the old place. And it'll include a community safety center. And I'm, let's start there, Chief, if you don't mind. He joins us right now. Tell us about the vision of the community safety center at the 3rd Precinct. That's something Minneapolis has never seen. Yeah, thank you for having me, Freddie Chantel. It's great to be here. Um, so, I mean, over the last, over three years now, I think so many of our police officers, so many of our residents have just been traumatized and still really have so many open wounds from everything that has happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really important that we start to have a plan and a vision to move forward together. Um, and that includes, obviously, one part of that is making police services accessible to residents in South Minneapolis, is getting the officers back into the neighborhood, Mm -hmm. but also trying to bring in a variety of services that help to do some of the things that police are not best suited to do, um, but also try and address some of the root causes of crime and root causes of some repeat victimization that involves bringing in social workers or bringing in, you know, folks who uh, can help those who have substance abuse problems and those who can help uh, in domestic violence situations and help folks get out of bad situations so that they stop seeing repeat victimization. And I know that's something that our new commissioner, Judge Barnett, Uh, wants to do very intentionally, have community input around. Uh, And I know particularly, as we've seen over the last couple of years, the the use of Canopy's uh, behavioral health uh, crisis response Mm -hmm. have been incredibly helpful and have been embraced by police officers because, again, we're bringing in professionals with training and experience to do things that police were never trained or intended to do. And I think it can help bring, you know, greater outcomes for, for all of our residents. When you were going through the academy, Did you envision a police uh, service team like uh, what's being constructed now with uh, the ancillary services as well as law enforcement? No, I mean, this is uh, this is cutting edge, uh, particularly with with canopy services. Um, You know, I think the reality just over time, particularly since, you know, the advent historically of 911, People will call 911 24 hours a day, seven days a week for every problem imaginable. Mm-hmm. And the Oaks, the only folks available to respond when something doesn't fit neatly into a category has been the police. So we've created an over-reliance on policing services and put police in situations, again, where they're not best suited or best trained to be in. And I think, you know, thinking thoughtfully about, you know, what other professionals are out there that can help complement and take some of the burden off of police so that we can focus better on not only addressing, you know, serious street crime and violence, but also better having more time to engage in meaningful ways with with community. So speaking of time, how long does it take to change that mindset 
to not call 911 because, I don't know, the cat's in the tree or yeah, sure. you know, I, I can't get through my door. Well, I don't think, you know, I think it's unreasonable to think we have to change our residents' mindsets. You mm-hmm. know, if our residents need help and that's how they're accessing help, whether it's 911 or 311, I think it's our obligation as public servants to think about, you know, how do we come up with ways to respond to those situations more thoughtfully. Everyone, we're talking with Brian Harris, the chief of police for Minneapolis, a year and one day into the job. How did you celebrate yesterday? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, yesterday was just another day at work, honestly. (laughs) You didn't take the day off or anything? No, no, no. Half day? There's, uh, (laughs) you know... This job can be frustrating a lot of times, and it's not frustrating at all when I'm out in the community or when I'm on the street corner, you know, with some of our police officers. The job can be frustrating, you know, dealing with the bureaucracy and dealing with sort of the minutia uh, that goes along with running an organization uh, in City Hall. But what, uh, what I try and remember every day that I was never supposed to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm a Newark cop. That's what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. And I believe I wound up here on purpose. I I believe that there's a higher, higher reason why I'm here. And honestly, it's a blessing to be here in this moment. Um, I think, you know, we've done we've done some great things over the last year to try and help make people safer, working together with community partners and law enforcement partners. Um, but I think, you know, I think Minneapolis is poised with, you know, everybody kind of working together to sort of be an example to the world of, of how to get this stuff right. So I'm just I'm. I just feel really blessed to be here, to have this opportunity. So you talk about a new paradigm. So here you are, you are the chief of police. Everywhere I've ever been, the only one above the chief is the mayor of the city. Now you've got another layer, yeah. the, the public safety commissioner. What's that relationship like and how do you make that dance work when you're trying to take care of all these uniformed and non-uniformed police officers? Yeah. So I am a police officer, that's my function. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, city hall politician or bureaucrat like I am one of the police um, so, and I don't think it's true that you know at least people haven't thought that only the mayor is in charge of the police I think a whole lot of people inside of city hall think they're in charge of the police so I think it's all I think it's I think it's a blessing to have somebody like Judge Barnett um, because he's just he's so experienced um, you know, I think he's so thoughtful and, you know, really his professional experience the past several years has been a judge. So he's someone who's used to listening to multiple sides of a story and weighing facts and evidence and making a thoughtful decision. And I think that's exactly, you know, what I need, um, you know, as support to help us move forward. Is it administrative growing pains that you've had uh, several complaints coming from your own body, from officers? Uh, concerned about this or upset with that I think there are three or four of those that yeah. have happened oh yeah I mean I wear that as a badge of honor I'm proud. oh really oh yeah those are not oh wait complaints. a minute you said you're proud I'm proud of that those are not complaints <laughs> from residents those are not complaints from members of the community the reality is you know I have come in here with no intention to maintain the status quo I have shaken up this department I have uh, I had to have state law change to put in a new command structure I've made the, the, the largest number of appointments and transfers in the department's history. Mm-hmm. And I think in any organization, when you come in and you make change, 
there's going to be pushback, right. uh, particularly when the good old boys network is no longer in charge. So as change happens and as people lose power, um, there will be different ways where that will flare up and there will be bumps uh, in the road. Um, but I think uh, I think it's a sign that we are making change. Um, and, and, and another thing that I've learned, particularly in Minnesota, particularly in Minneapolis, over the years, cops have become very good at weaponizing the complaint process against each other. Mm. And I'm sure there's many people you could ask uh, that have been here for years that have seen it where someone comes up on a civil service list, they're about to get promoted. Right. They don't want this person to get promoted for whatever reason. So all of a sudden there's an anonymous complaint against them. Mm-hmm. And now the person can't get promoted for another year or two because they got to investigate these complaints. Mm. Um, so that's something that I've seen I've seen here, like the internal complaint process has been weaponized. But, you know, I know what I do. I know I go out in community every day and I experience, you know, love and support from the real people who live in this city. And that's all that matters to me. So with that kind of infighting and you've got these consent decrees, how do you uh, level set so you can get the work done? Yeah, that, that's that, that's not going to last. Um, you know, I, I think for the most part, you know, the police officers here have now seen we put in a new structure. We intend to be supportive of our officers. We intend to move forward together. We're trying to get back to our purpose to remind people, why did you take this job in the first place? You know, our our cops that are here that are left, the vast majority of them, I think, are incredibly dedicated to trying to get things right for the for the residents of this city. They've lived through so much, just like our residents. Um, But again, uh, they have remained when at times there has been incentives for them to leave. They have remained while they have seen day after day, coworker after coworker just leave the job. Um, So I think by and large, you know, I, I think I have the support of the officers. And I think going into next year, I think we're poised to really start rebuilding the department. So how are you going to rebuild it when you've got those people, as you said, you see their, their co-workers leaving? Yeah. What's the recruitment effort look like? Are you going to have to uh, put out one of these uh, blow-up whirly dolls and say, yeah. come work for me, come yeah. work for me? Well, I think the biggest thing we need is we need the city to settle the contract with the union. I think we need to have a salary and compensation that reflect that this is one of the most poli- this is the most difficult policing job in the state if not one of the most difficult jobs in the country and i think salary needs to reflect that particularly if we're going to continue to ask the officers to do more and more with less um, but i think you know money isn't everything and i think internally what has happened here over the last three years is the officers have felt like they've been painted with a broad brush that they have not been supported um, that they've been labeled by folks who don't understand them and you know don't 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 know them personally and i think one of the biggest things that we have to do is we have to again rebuild morale internally so that our own people are not telling other people don't come here our own people can't be telling you know people on the street in the community that might be thinking becoming police officers don't come here nobody supports you everybody's leaving that's the type of messaging that we have to try and change internally and i think we are um, but I think one of the things we absolutely need to do is we need to settle this contract and have, have compensation that reflects the realities of the job. So finally, what gives you optimism? What gives you the, the drive to get up in the morning and say, you know, I made the right choice. Yeah. My wife in Jersey is going to come. We made the right choice, uh, sweetheart. Uh, where does your source of optimism come that says, yeah, I did make that right decision 16 months ago and I started a year ago, I'm ready to go. Well, the number one source of strength for me is my wife, Wafia. 
Um, that's exactly what she tells me every day. But then, you know, uh, what I do see out here is I see here we are just a year later. There's 170 fewer families in this city who have had a loved one hit by a bullet. Mm. You know, there's 22 fewer families who have not had a loved one murdered. There's 2,500 fewer shots fired calls this year. Carjackings cut in half. Mm -hmm. I mean, going out into community here, particularly on the north side and some of the other communities who, are, who I think are most affected by policing, I have experienced a level of love from residents and support that is unlike anything I have not seen since September 12th, 2001. Wow. Um, that is how supportive and how loving the residents of the city here are. Uh, and that is who we are here for. That's, that's the reason why I'm here. Last question, November 8th, 2024. What will you be saying about Minneapolis? Well, uh, hopefully, you know, with the grace of God, you know, again, we will be here talking about how there are fewer victims of crime and violence, how there are more residents who believe that they can trust the Minneapolis police. There's more residents who have felt like they've had more positive interactions with our officers. Uh, and, and we'll be able to say that we are rebuilding the department with people who reflect community values and, and our numbers are getting, are getting larger. Everybody, he is Chief Brian O'Hara, Minneapolis Chief of Police in Minneapolis, with us on his anniversary. You know, if I'd been thinking in our prep time, mm -hmm. we should have bought a cake, Chantel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess we could have bought a cake. We didn't do that, um, but maybe we can play him a song. It's not even a full <laughs> bottle of water. It's like four ounces. <laughs> right. And I drank half of it. Well, we, we can't buy a, we can't we, we can play the song though oh my gosh <laughs> I'm coming to your house I should have brought something <laughs> <laughs> right next time next time <laughs> it is 28 minutes past the hour of nine o'clock great song Chantel <laughs>